This is episode 96 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore Events Podcast. We're finishing up Women's Camp 2010, The Transforming Freedom of Forgiveness. This is a breakout session from Jolie Charles titled, Oh No, My Battery is Losing Its Charge. She's been attending this camp for 22 years, so please welcome Jolie Charles. Thank you. Did anyone see the squirrel or the chipmunk? I mean, wow. Didn't somebody write a song about that one? It's like a chipmunk up. Anybody remember that? Uh, kind of an old one. Well, good morning. Um, I just want to tell you, and I told the, the, I've never done this. This is my very first time ever giving the same message twice. So I have no idea if I'm going to say exactly the same thing as I did yesterday. Or I might do something different. I'm not sure. But I told the group yesterday, and I think I want to tell you too, because you are being a part of a miracle. Because I will tell you that 30 years ago, if you would have told me 30 years from now, you're going to be standing at a women's retreat, giving a message, a Christian message to a bunch of Christian women, I would have laughed at you. So the fact that I'm here is just amazing. For uh, This is our t- my 22nd year of coming to camp, and for at least since Daisy Hepburn. Anybody remember Daisy Hepburn? There we go. Since Daisy, uh, that was the year, I think, that I realized I wanted to be up here. And I remember talking to Daisy. So, uh, and I'm this has been my dream, and here I am. So you are a mi- part of a miracle today. Matthew five fourteen. You are the light of the world, like a city on a mountain, glowing in the night for all to see. Whew. Don't you love that scripture? You're the light of the world, like a city on a mountain, glowing in the night for all to see. This is written right after the Beatitudes. And God is basically telling us to show his love to the world. We are to be the light. I read this scripture, and I just, I want to stand a little taller. I want to, you know, kind of put my chin a little bit higher, smile a little broader, love a little more often. And in the same breath... It scares me to death because if God is counting on me to be this beacon of light, he's in a lot of trouble because I don't always feel like this shining light. My battery runs low. But if we are to see or if we are to be the light of the world, what is the world looking for? And by the world, I'm talking about non-believers. What is the world looking for? Well, I went to our local used bookstore, and uh, I went in the self-help section, not a section I visit very often. And I'll tell you, the world is looking for happiness and a fulfilling life. There had to have been a thousand titles of how to find happiness. The 100 simple, simple secrets of happy people. Now, if you buy this book, you can find out that happy people smile more than they frown. Woo! <laughs> Definitely worth the price of that book, I'm sure. Notes on how to live in the world and still be happy. I thought maybe this was like a Christian author. No, no. The the world is like the planet we live in. The five things we cannot change and the happiness we find by embracing them. And I kind of like this one because there was one on body structure. And since I am a pair from day one of my life, I like that part of this book. And the biggest psycho babble that we hear, using the new positive psychology to realize your potential for lasting fulfillment, authentic happiness. Woo! <laughs> but ladies, we have to, number one, 
The world cannot expect to find happiness without a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. So when God is telling us to be beacons of his love, showing our light, he's not saying just show them all how to smile. That's not what it's about. Because, yeah, they might find a temporary happiness, but there's nothing going to last. It's going to be happiness based on circumstances. And that's like a house of cards. It's going to fall apart on you sooner or later. So what we are trying to do is to be, or what God wants us to be, is to be beacons of his love so that we can show what the power of his love can do to a fallen woman. In John 10.10, 10, it says, The thief, being Satan, does not come except to, de- except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And then in 1 Peter 5.8, I, I love how uh, Peter puts it. He calls Satan a roaring lion ready to devour. But I, being Jesus, I have come that they, which would be us, may have life and that they may have life more abundantly. If we are trying to show the world the power of God's love, the enemy is going to be constantly trying to unplug us every way he can. But I have a real simple kind of a belief system about Satan. Absolutely, is he real? Yep. But I don't have to worry about him. Jesus Christ is the overcomer. He will deal with Satan. I don't have to worry about him. I just kind of leave that up to Jesus. And you know, he's really okay with that. But what I have to deal with is the fact that I kind of sabotage myself. And I'm kind of helping unplug myself sometimes. And that's what I want to talk about today. Are some some ways, some advice, some encouragement that we can all, because there is a commonality with women how we can keep ourselves energized, how we can show the world God's love. One of the first things that I think we do, uh, and and I'll tell you, if, if you watch any talk show, is we as believers look toward the world for advice. If you watch Oprah, if you watch Dr. Phil, if you watch, I don't know, Maury Povich. I, I don't watch much daylight, daytime TV, so I'm not really sure. But, but any like good housekeeping, um, uh, cosmopolitan, if you do any of the secular advice columns, if a woman has a problem, the problem is you've taken yourself off the top of the list. Oh, that is the politically correct answer for all women. You have taken care of everyone else's needs but yourself. You need to put yourself at the top of the list. Oh, I've heard it a hundred times. And I don't believe it. If that is true, please do not point to your friends. then I want you to think about a woman who has truly got herself at the top of the list. And it is all about her. And she really believes that. Now, according to the popular psychology, the popular counselors on these talk shows and things like that, that woman, that totally self-centered woman, should be the happiest person you know. Luckily, I don't know too many ladies like that, but you know the ones I do? They're pretty miserable. But ladies that I know that kind of seem to have quite a bit of happiness in their life, you know, they're not, you know, they're not coming up sunshine 365 days a year, but basically they're pretty happy, fulfilled ladies. You know, and when I think about it, they don't have themselves at the top of the list. They're signing up for children's church. They're signing up for, uh, to take a meal to a new mom 
or, or someone who's had surgery. That's how you get free meals in our church. You got to have a baby, you got to have surgery. That's it. <laughs> About a month ago, we had vacation Bible school in our um, church, and um, it was a, a great success. And one of our young mothers uh, signed up for crafts, and she was the craft person. And so every day she saw every little VBSer go through. And on Thursday, after four days of VBS and hours of preparation, she wrote on her Facebook um, wall, she said, after four days of um, crafts at VBS, I should be exhausted, but instead I am energized. She said, I think it's a God thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. We are new creatures in Christ. We need to put Jesus Christ at the top of our list. And we need to put ourselves down a little ways. Now, I'm not talking about you need to volunteer for every committee that there ever is. And, you know, you should stay up till midnight baking cookie for, cookies for your neighbors. No, no. We need to have a healthy respect for our physical, emotional, spiritual needs. But if you keep trying to put yourself at the top of the list like the world tells us, it, it, it doesn't work. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. That would be for those non-believers. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. The things of the cross are foolish for non-believers. The same exact thing goes for a non-believer when we're looking to the world for advice. It's foolish. It doesn't work with us. Jesus Christ has made us new creatures, and one of the things he's done in our lives is to instruct us to love each other and to give of ourselves. And the more you give, the better you feel. I mean, there's never a time, I, I, this doesn't come real natural for me. Now, some of you probably does. I'm not a real natural giver. I blame the fact I didn't come to know the Lord till I was 29. It's, a, it's, a, it's an excuse, but that's what I blame it on. So I have to really kind of work at doing good things for other people. And so I, one of the things is... Um, I, I sign up to take meals to, to people who have had a baby or surgery. And, uh, and there's never a time where I feel better about myself than when I've taken the meal and I'm driving the driveway or driving back to my house. I'm just going, oh, yes. I mean, it feels good. That's a God thing. So we need to stop looking toward the world for our advice Secondly, one of the things that I think we really need to do is we need to get support groups before we necessarily need them. In your church, you need to connect with people. You need to go to church on Sunday, of course, everybody, you know, that's kind of a given. But you need to do something where you're talking and interacting. If you only go on Sunday morning and just sit there and, you know, you, you do sing and worship, but basically the message is being given you, you don't really have to talk to anybody, do you? And you need to connect. You need to feel like your church family is indeed your church family. I said this yesterday, and I, I really, every time I think of church family, I think about this. I have just the best church family. They are so supportive. Um, when I... I was in the sanctuary, and we were doing prayer requests and praises. We're small enough we can do that still. And uh, I said, I just want to praise the Lord. I found out this week that I am going to be uh, doing a workshop at Camp Tadmore. And they hooped and hollered. Oh, it was such a treat. I mean, it's one of those things where I just kind of hold close. But you need to connect with the people in your church family. Um, one of the things that... Um, I feel very strongly is you need to have a, a, a woman uh, group, some kind, uh, Bible study, prayer meeting, crafts, if nothing else, meeting once a week to go have coffee. Um, there's something about having a small group of women that you know you can call 
and they're praying for you just like that. Um, right now, I guarantee you there's at least probably 10 women praying for me. Maybe not as many because I have more in the audience today. But, I mean, I know there are those people doing that. Um, at a, a couple in our church, and I, they were a young couple, very kind of shy, kind of uh, quiet people. And uh, I actually drew their name in our secret prayer family thing. So here I was praying for these people, but I don't know. I didn't know them. I mean, and I would try to talk to them, and they were kind of like one word you know, hey, how are you doing today? Good. Really nice weather outside. Yep. You know, I mean, they were just, they're kind of like those kind of people. And it's, it wasn't like they were unfriendly. It was just that they're, they weren't real talkative. And I was having the hardest time connecting with them. And so, um, but I was praying for them. And it just felt funny. I felt like I should know them because I was praying for them. So sure enough, the, the wife, Kristen, um, start coming to a Bible study that, that I happen to be leading. And I mean, two weeks, we were friends. We were connected. Because when you go in that small group and you start praying with each other, it's impossible not to feel connected. It doesn't mean that she is my best friend and we're going to go out to lunch and travel together. Probably never do that. But we're connected now. And now in church... I can walk up to her, and, and she still doesn't talk to me a lot because she's just kind of quiet. But I can Gucci-goo her baby, and I can put my hand on her shoulder, and we have a connection. If you're one of those people who really feel like, oh, I can't go to Bible study because all those ladies are kind of friends, you know, you, you, do you get, does anybody ever still feel like they're in junior high with that kind of stuff? Isn't that ridiculous? We're adults. I still sometimes get that feeling. Don't. Make yourself go. Because you know what? We do all act like we're friends. But you know why? Because we all come to Bible study and we pray with each other. And we laugh with each other. And we cry with each other. And so we do act like friends. But you know what? If you come, you'll be our friend too. It doesn't take much. Just come. So get some type of support group. Um, a small women group especially, but, but get that support group because it's so very, very important. So the next thing is never a fun thing to talk about. But, you know, we talk about the world, uh, that we're to be the light of the world, and something's snapping over there. Um, I'm still thinking about that squirrel, you know. I'm just kind of like wondering what's going to jump out next. Um, <laughs> if you think the world is watching you through the good times, let me explain that the world is looking at a magnifying glass at you when you're going through a hard time. And so, ladies, we need to change our attitude about hard times. Um, we all have them. I, I think that's one of the first things we need to realize. We all have hard times. In 1 Peter 4.12, Peter tells us, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Oh, I mean, there's so many verses in the Bible that tell us when you're having your trials. The trials are coming. We are all going to have trials. And if you're a new believer here today and somehow you thought that when you became a believer that you were never going to have hard times again, mm, sorry. <laughs> Miss common, a very common myth, not true, not true. Pick up your Bible. It is filled with people who had hard times. So, but if we all understand, and, and I think sometimes we think, oh, not everybody has hard times because, you know, uh, say the, the Jones family over here, you know, they never seem to go through hard times. But boy, the, uh, the Smith family, they're constantly going through hard times. You know, you'll find in a church, and it's not right or wrong, it's just how families deal with it. 
Certain families feel very comfortable, you know, requesting prayer requests for every bad thing that's happening in their life. This family might not. But trust me, we all go through trials and tribulations. Everyone does. So, number one, we, we remember that we all go through them. Number two, if you are listening to anyone, any teaching that is telling you that you are sick because you're not believing when you pray, that things are bad happening to you because you don't have enough faith, that is called toxic Christianity. It's not the truth. Open your Bible. The Apostle Paul was beaten, thrown into prison, beaten, thrown into prison again, thrown out of town. The Apostle Paul, do you think God was mad at him? I mean, really? Do you think he wasn't believing enough? Have you read what he writes? Everyone goes through hard times. Everyone. But this is the good news. And if you're that new believer and you're sitting there going, oh, darn, I didn't think I had to go through any of this. Here's the good news. Everyone goes through hard times. But Deuteronomy 31.8, and this is only just one verse. There are all kinds of promises. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor forsake you. You never have to go through a trial again by yourself. I, I don't know how non-believers do it. I really don't. But they do. In uh, Beth Moore's Bible study that she wrote on Daniel, uh, she Beth Moore with the, had a, a numbering system, and I have borrowed her numbering system. She doesn't know I've borrowed it. Uh, I'm sure she and I will become very good friends someday. I feel like I already know her, uh, but uh, she has a numbering system, and I, I, I borrow it, and I love it. There are three ways that God will take you through a trial. Number one, he'll take it away. Ooh, and we love that. He'll just take it away. My favorite story of that happening, and I, I actually have several, but the favorite story is this um, young man who is coaching with my uh, husband. My husband's a football coach and a track coach and a basketball coach and, you know, all that. But anyway, he's a football coach. And this young man was coaching with my husband, and he had a sore shoulder. Thought, oh, gosh, you know, rotator cuff, something like that. Finally decided to go to the doctor. And, and I'm not exact on these days because um, I can't remember, but it was like within a week. All of this happened in a week. So he went to the doctor on Monday, finally about his shoulder that had been sore for quite some time. On Wednesday, they were doing MRIs, CAT scans, PET scans, and uh, biopsies. On Friday, he was on the surgeon's table. And the prayer request was that the surgeon could get all of the tumor because the tumor was so entwined and so huge the surgeon was not sure he could get it all. So the prayer request that my husband um, emailed me, please have the church pray that um, the surgeon can get all the tumor. Surgeon opens up the shoulder on Friday, no tumor. It was gone. The evidence of the tumor was there. The bone was like dented. The, it was torn apart. The surgeon actually took four hours to repair the shoulder. The tumor had done so much damage. But the tumor, gone. Surgeon met with this young man, and he said, I've never seen this happen before. Never. And the young man said, all I can tell you is I had people from the East Coast to the West Coast praying for me. And the surgeon said, like I'm telling you, there was a tumor there. It wasn't like a shadow. There was a tumor. 
and it wasn't there, and I've never seen anything like that. He shook his head, and the surgeon walked out. Now, if I hadn't been that surgeon, I might have wanted to talk to this young man more. But no, the surgeon just, he shook his head, and he just, I've never seen this. Just like that. Oh, I love that. The thing that, and, and this is something I've been pondering, uh, and every time I tell this story, I think about it. How many times does God take away a hard time or a bad thing? And we don't even know it. How many times does he do that? I mean, how many times am I <clears throat> walking down a dark street and somebody that's dangerous is coming and God blocks his view of me? How many times am I driving a car and God has his angels holding some idiot ready to hit me or holding me from hitting somebody else? <laughs> I mean, how many times does God take away like that? We don't even know it. When I get into heaven, that's one thing I want to know. I want to ask him. So number one way he'll get you through is take it away. And we like that. I always ask for that. I always ask for that. But sad to say, there's a number two. And sometimes he says, no, I'm not going to take it away. There's a purpose. There's a purpose. But I'm going to walk you through it. And he will walk you through it. He will take your hand and he will lead you through anything. And there are times when you can see his handprint just as clear as anything as you're going through the trial. It, and it makes it easier because you know he's there. It doesn't make the trial any easier, but you know he's there and it's a comfort. But I got to tell you, sometimes you go through the trial and you don't see that. And I've done both ways. And I don't know why sometimes it's so clearly and sometimes it's not. But I'll tell you, there have been some things that I've gone through and I've just, I've, I've not known why. And then three or four years down the road, look back and go, oh, that's why. But I'll tell you, sometimes he does. Um, I have lost both my mom and dad in the last three years. I lost my dad about three years ago to lung cancer. And, and uh, that was pretty awful just the last few months, but he did pretty well right up until the last few months, and uh, I was his caregiver. But nothing prepared me for then taking care of my mom. They had been married 60 years, and nothing had prepared me for taking care of my mom. She lived for two and a half more years, and they were absolutely very miserable two and a half years for her, for me, for kind of everybody. She just, she couldn't rebound without my dad. I mean, 60 years, that's a long time. My mom also had some issues. Um, she was an alcoholic. Uh, she had alcohol-induced dementia, so she had a lot of cognitive impairment, and, and she had a lot of health problems. But and I'll tell you that two and a half years, uh, the Lord just helped me through it. I would love to tell you that I was the perfect daughter and that I was always just loving and wonderful. And Yeah, I wasn't. Not all the time. <laughs> but I'll tell you, without the Lord, I couldn't have done it. I will, I will guarantee you that. Without the Lord, I would have just gone stark raving mad. But with the Lord, I did get through it. And you know, I was able to even while I was going through it, appreciate the fact that I was there to do it, that I was there to take care of my dad in his last few months. I was there to take care of my mom, and that's a privilege and a blessing. But my mom, um, even though she had, she had all kinds of health problems, but nothing that she was going to die from quickly, I, you know, and I don't know how to say that, but I mean, she had like, I mean, you know, she was kind of very cognitive. She was getting confused a lot. She'd forget. And um, because she still drank, um, she would sometimes forget and she would drink too much and she'd forget to eat. And then she'd take her pills and sometimes she'd take two days worth of pills in one day. And there were just all kinds of things like that. But she was healthy. And the Thursday before she actually died, she'd gone to the doctor, and the doctor said, yeah, I think you're good. I think you're good. You know, you're having some digestive problems. I think it'll calm down. And, all, I mean, Mom had gone down and up and down and up. Just about when you think she was just really going to go, then she'd perk up and be fine. And uh, 
I had gone to a women's retreat to speak. It was on President's Day. And uh, my mom was not real thrilled that I was a Christian. And um, there were some issues there. But she kind of warmed to the fact a little bit. And I came home from the uh, women's retreat. And I went over. She was an assisted living uh, place now. And I went over. And she was in bed. It was about 8 o'clock. She goes, I'm just not feeling well. I go, I'm sorry, you know. She goes, how did it go? And I said, it went really, really well. I said, there were about 50 women, really great retreat. She said, good job, Joe. I'm proud of you. I went, wow. I said, thanks, Mom. Gave her a kiss and walked out the door. She was in bed. She didn't feel good, but she'd been there, I mean, many times. Five o'clock in the morning, the phone rang the next morning. I'm sound asleep. My husband brings me the phone. He said, it's the hospital. You know, it's your mom. Do you ever get a five o'clock phone call that's good news? I mean, never. So I, I don't wake up real well anyway. So I wake up, and here's this uh, doctor, a surgeon, Dr. Hudson, talking to me. And he said, you, are the pow you have power of attorney over your mom um, she has a health directive, she has a hole in her intestine, and I need your permission to operate on her. And I'm going, a hole in her intestine? I said, what does this surgery entail? And he told me it was really big, I mean really big. Now, this is a woman that we'd been doctoring a sore. She was, had type 2 diabetes along with her alcoholism. And she, we had been trying to heal a sore on her leg for a year, a year, and it still wasn't healed. And he's telling me about they were going to remove the intestine and they were going to do this. And, and I was just going, oh. And I said, well, I said, why are you calling me again? I don't quite understand. He said, well, your mom has a health directive that says that, I am not to do any heroic surgery at this point, and you have power of attorney, and you can override her wishes. And I said, really? I, my brain is just going 100 different directions. I mean, I, I'm just like, ah. Uh. But I'd love to tell you, I got down on my hands and knees, and I prayed and everything, and I didn't. I mean, you're in that, you just don't think. And that's exactly what's happening. My brain was just going, ah. But I thought somewhere, I thought, I, I wish I could just pray about this. I wish I could just pray and get back to you. But I couldn't. As soon as I even had that thought, the peace came over me. My head started working. And I said, Doc, and he said, he, she will die within 36 hours if I don't do the surgery. He said, Dr. Hudson, can you <clears throat> make her pain-free while she dies? And he said, yes. I said, that, we are going with my mom's wishes, but you keep her pain-free. And he said, okay. He said, now, so I got off the phone. I was feeling very peaceful, very calm. Went downstairs, and there was my husband. And I said, um, you just had to tell him not to operate. I'm, I'm bawling now. I mean, you know, what is that? You know, I was just calm upstairs, came down. I had to sell him, but I, should, I don't know if I did the right thing. And my husband's going, honey, you, you did the right thing. Your, your mom wouldn't have wanted that. That's why she had the health directive and all this. But you know, my, my husband wasn't ever really fond of my mom, so I wasn't sure. <laughs> I wasn't really sure if he was giving me good advice, but I, I went with it, and, and I went upstairs to take a shower. And uh, I'd already felt the peace of God, so that was the first time I felt that hand. I went upstairs, and uh, the phone rang. And I picked it up and said, uh, Jolie, uh, this is Dr. Watson. Now, in Good Samaritan Hospital, they have now what they call hospitalists that are just doctors that are just your doctor when you're in the hospital. 
They're not doctors when you're not in the hospital. It's a kind of a new situation. And I was not familiar with this at all until mom had been in the hospital a few times. And, and I mean, I don't know, there's maybe 20, maybe 30 hospitalists. I don't really know. But we had met several of them, and mom really hated all of them, and so did I. <laughs> Except Dr. Watson. Dr. Watson was the one doctor that both she and I loved. And this Dr. Watson loved my mom. Loved, my mom was a real cantankerous kind of a, you know, said anything that happened across her mind. I mean, she was a hoot. And Dr. Watson loved her, and we loved Dr. Watson. She'd only been our my mom's doctor just once, and we'd had several others which we didn't love. And there was Dr. Watson. And I'm going, oh, Dr. Watson, I'm so glad. She goes, I'm, I'm your mom's doctor. And Julie, I just called you to tell you that you made the right decision. That is a decision your mom would have made. And I went, oh, hand of God, right there. Thank you. I, the hand of God, right there. Took a shower, went to the hospital. I hate the hospital. I hate how a hospital smells. I hate how it looks. I hate hospitals. I've been there too many times. Walked, you know, found out which room she was in, which floor. Got off the elevator, was walking toward her room, and out comes my neighbor, Julie. She's a nurse, the kindest, sweetest. If you pictured what does a nurse look like, it would be Julie. What does a nurse act like? Julie. Who would you want to be your nurse? Julie. And she walks out and she gives me this big hug. And she said, I'm your mom's nurse. I'm so sorry, Julie. And I looked at her and I went, oh, I can't believe that you're her nurse. Another hand to God. Another hand to God. We prefer it when he takes those trials away. But if we have to live through them, and we all do or will, he'll walk you through them. And sometimes you see it. Now, the third way that he'll take us through the trial is the hardest on those left behind. But sometimes he just says, come on home. You're, you're, this world, uh, you've been here too long, come on home. Come to glory. Come to, to where I am, where you'll never cry again, where you'll never feel pain again. Come on home. We've been praying in our, my Bible study group for a little girl named uh, Velicity. She is five years old. She has leukemia. She came down with leukemia when she was three. And last spring, she was at OHSU. And we prayed that she could go home because she wanted to go home. She'd been in, in OHSU for so long, and she just wanted to go home to Montana. And, of course, her family wanted to go home to Montana. And they did. And then Velicity went home last week. Unbearable for her family unbearable. I can't even imagine. I don't even know the people and it makes me cry. Unbearable. But for Felicity, oh my gosh, she's with Jesus. She doesn't have leukemia anymore. She doesn't have to go through treatments anymore. She doesn't have to have, to have her blood drawn how many times. She's home. She's home. The Lord just said, come on home. You've, you've suffered enough. God is going to get you through anything you come across. Sometimes he'll remove it, and oh, we love that, and we need to celebrate that. But sometimes he doesn't, and sometimes he'll just walk you through it, and it's going to be hard, but he'll walk you through it. And there's going to be a better day. Bill Gaither has a song that I like about that. There's going to be. I, if I was Dawn, I would just burst out into song here. <laughs> Sorry to say I'm not, and it's good for you that I don't burst into to song. Uh, but anyway, there's going to be a better day. And then the third way that God's going to 
take care of us in a hard time trial. Sometimes he just takes you home. He takes you home. Just like little five-year-old Felicity. Heartbroken family left behind. But she's okay. She's with the Lord. Oh, and Bonnie's not here. I can tell this story again. Uh, I have this friend who uh, is a godly woman. Godly woman. She has this weird phobia about birds. Now, a phobia is an illogical fear, and it is an illogical fear, and it is real. A phobia is not just like not liking something. I think that little squirrel, I was not fond of that, but that is certainly not a phobia. But Bonnie, I mean, when she sees a bird, her, her heart starts to pound, she sweats. I mean, it's terrible. And birds, I mean, there's a lot of birds out there. <clears throat> so she, we were fishing on, on, a, on our boat, and there was an osprey, and I was going, oh, look at that osprey, because I forget all the time. I go, oh, look at that osprey, and she's going, oh, oh where, where, where? And, and I'm going, you know, Bonnie, there, I keep telling you you need to take care of that, because the other thing about phobias is they're the easiest psychological disorder to get over, because they're illogical fear. But you do really have to go through some major steps. And I said, I said, Bonnie, you know, someday you're going to be laying in a casket and I'm going to be standing there saying, see, I told you to get that phobia fixed. <laughs> and I mean, she came back so fast and she said, and I'm going to look at you and say, I'm in glory and you're not. <laughs> so sometimes the Lord's just going to take you home. Okay, so we're not going to look toward the world for advice. We're going to get a support system. We're going to get a new attitude on trials and tribulations. We're never going to, I, mean, I know we're told that we're supposed to be thankful for them. Yeah, that's too much for me. But I'm going to get through it. And then number four, you need to have some fun. 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 When was the last time you jumped off like the edge of the pool and said cannonball and splashed everybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not my church family. Put your hands down. They can, yeah, yeah. I have a very fun church family. But, you know, I read somewhere, and it's been several years ago, that we get old because we stop doing fun things. Isn't that kind of a, you know, Really? And, and I kind of got to thinking when I remember when I read it, it, was, it really made an impact. And I thought, you know, why, why do we stop doing some of this stuff? All you have to do is see my, I've got three little grandkids. That I have four, but he's not walking and swimming yet. But the three that I have are from two to nine. Give them some water, and oh my gosh, they're entertained for hours. Splashing, cannonball, look at this, Grandma, doing little flips, you know, standing on our heads in the water. It's great fun. Do you know how many times I get, oh, this is the most annoying scene to me in the world, is to go to a resort or a hotel or a motel. You're at the pool. Here's Dad and the kids in the pool playing. And here's Mom out here sitting watching with her clothes on. Because, oh my gosh, she'd have to put a bathing suit on. <laughs> Ladies, nobody cares what you look like. Nobody. When I put a bathing suit on, I look at other ladies if they have more cellulite, I'm going, yeah, good job for getting that suit on, girl. <laughs> and, and if I look at somebody who looks too good, I say, oh, eating disorder. <laughs> have some fun. Go on a zip line. Do something, do something in the next few months that just seems ridiculous. It'll be fun. Have some fun. <laughs> You're at Camp Tadmore. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, aren't I? We are here. I, I kind of forgot about that. I was 29 years old when I came to know the Lord. And Psalm 1816 absolutely is what happened. He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. 
I was 29 years old and going straight to hell. And God just reached down and, and pulled me out of deep, deep, deep waters. I am absolutely a new creature. I, I mean, I, uh, I see, see some of my old friends and they just kind of look at me and shake my head. And I say, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm a Christian speaker now. And then they'll actually laugh. I mean, they really do. <laughs> no, I'm really serious. Oh. But in my walk with the Lord, so I've known 29, I, I actually always, always like to embarrass her, and I love her so much. Uh, I claim my daughter, that beautiful girl right there in the purple shirt, uh, her birthday as my, um, the day that I actually became a, a believer. I was getting there, and it was actually in labor when I actually finally said, hey, I need your help. And... Uh, <laughs> And it's actually not quite been 29 years, but it, it's, it's getting close to that. And so I've, I did not grow up in a Christian home. In fact, my parents were very, very prejudiced against Christians and people who went to church. And I mean, they really were, and they, they would say things quite often. And, and the, the very sad, one of the sad things about that is the fact that it, as a child growing up, you really don't realize that you're being indoctrinated, but you are. My, my dad, his oldest brother, name, uh, was named Vernon. And Vernon was kind of a big man, kind of, a kind of round and pudgy. He kind of took after my pop, my, my grandpa. And my, my parents just constantly made little snide remarks about him. And I just grew up thinking Uncle Vernon was just kind of a big, fat, lazy guy. I just didn't like him very much. I didn't like him. And we didn't see him that much. I mean, he'd come up. We lived, we lived way out in the country on a ranch. They lived down uh, in the Sacramento area. So, so I, you know, I saw him once a year, so it wasn't like I ever really got to know him that well anyway. But I, I really didn't like him. I just never liked him. He died, and this was after I became a believer, and I went to his funeral, and oh my goodness, at his funeral, person after person after person stood up and said, anytime I needed help, Vernon was there at my doorstep. You know, I call old Vernon at, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning when my, um, you know, pump broke. And, and he would come and, uh, you know, it was just a great, great time. And he was such a great man. And, and I, I was like, it was such a shock to me to realize that this man who I would not liked all these years was a great godly man. And, and see, my dad loved him. And I never had the courage to tell my dad that I didn't like him because of the things he had said. So I didn't grow up in a, in a Christian home, so I had to figure out how this looked. You know, how do you do a Christian life? I wasn't really quite sure. But I, I've realized, and, and uh, Jeremiah 29, 13 states, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And that has been the story of my Christian life. I need to be very intentional about my relationship with Jesus Christ. It is a growing, loving, personal relationship. My husband is a coach. And we have a very wonderful marriage. We, we really are very compatible and, you know, we're best friends and all that good stuff too. And, uh, but he is a coach. And when he's in a season, oh, another coach's wife is in the season. Yeah. When he's coaching, he has his little coaching glasses on and he sees nothing except the sport. That's what makes him an excellent coach, but it makes him a very terrible husband during the season. And so long ago, I realized I had to be very intentional with him so that we would still be loving husband and wife. And so one of the things we do, and I had to kind of play around with what worked and what didn't, but during the season, 
Wednesday night, usually midweek, we go to a restaurant, doesn't matter if it's Burger King or a nice restaurant, we sit across from each other, and his job is to look lovingly into my eyes <laughs> and to not talk about the sport. And he has to do that. And I will tell you, I have to tell him every week we're doing this. And every Wednesday when he comes home, remember, tonight we're going out to dinner. Oh, yes, I remember. And we go, and then he'll sit there, and he'll start talking. About that. No, remember, we don't talk about the sport. We look long, lovingly into our eyes. It's very intentional. And because of that, we have been able to weather the years, and, and we do pretty well most of the time. <laughs> but I've realized that I have to be that intentional with my relationship with the Lord. There is no angel that is going to come and sprinkle angel dust on your head. If you're only seeing Jesus on Sunday morning, that's not going to be much of a relationship. So for me, I have developed some kind of little things I do. Now, the thing is, is when I tell you what I do, it might not work for you. It might not work to the person to your right. What works for the person on your left might not work for you. Because in Psalm 139, God tells us he knew us in the womb and that we are wonderfully complex. So each one of us is different. So each one of us is different. So we have to kind of think, you have to figure out. One of the things I have to do is I'm getting very nervous because people are getting up and leaving. So, whew, I better talk fast. Uh, one of the things I do is I need to read the Bible every day. I, every day. Now, I, I don't need... It was so funny when Don was talking about the one-year Bible and then they were supposed to read it in three months and it had already been six. I hate those one-year Bibles. How, how convicting is that? By February, I'm off a month. By, by May... By May, I, I'm where, you know, I was supposed to be in, in January. And it's like, oh, please don't do that. But something like this, and these are free. These are free. Um, they're just little devotionals, and they go with days. And every day, it just gives you this little teeny bit of scripture to read. Five minutes. But if I don't do it, I get to have, uh, and I talked about it yesterday, it's like a, instead of a panic attack, it's a cranky attack. And I, I will tell you, ladies, and I don't know if it's because I did not grow up in a believing family or whatever. I have to really do things a certain way or I get off real easy. Uh, this last week, and I keep proving this to myself, and I don't know exactly when I'm going to learn. But... This last weekend is a perfect example. I went to this um, grade school reunion, which was just a hoot. And I was gone, and I took, I took my message, which Bible is always in red. I, I can't see in my reading glasses. I can't walk around, so that's why I do it like this. You know, it's like 48 font. I can read this. <laughs> Something for you young ladies to look forward to. Uh, but anyway, um, so... I didn't take a Bible because I knew I was going to be real busy and I thought, oh, if I have time, I'll just work on my message and that'll be enough. So, you know, I didn't even look at the message the several days and I got on the airplane to come home and now this had been the third day that I hadn't read my Bible, hadn't even thought about the fact that it was my third day that I hadn't read the Bible, had been having a great weekend, got on the airplane in Southwest and, you know, you can sit anywhere you want and going down I'd had three seats all to myself and so I'm sitting there in the aisle reading my paper because that's how what you're, you do so that people don't sit next to you so you read your paper so I'm reading my paper and this couple comes in and says oh can we sit here and I'm going oh yeah and so they're sitting there I'm kind of looking around going why are you sitting here there's seats everywhere why are you you know and so I'm sitting there kind of looking around I'm kind of going why'd they do that so Still, no, no logic that I was thinking that I was getting cranky. Just thought that they were being really ridiculous. <laughs> so, so then I'm, I'm trying to read my newspaper, and my little light 
is kind of shining on that man, and he turned it off. So there I'm sitting there, and I'm in the dark, and I'm kind of going, well, what am I going to do? I mean, it, it was a short flight, but it's an hour and a half. I can't sit here in the dark. And I'm, I'm kind of looking at him, and so I try to play with the light a little bit, and I'm thinking, did he know he turned my light off? And he probably didn't, you know. I mean, he probably just thought he was turning his own light off. And I'm sitting there, and I mean, I am getting cranky. I mean, I'm just, and I'm starting to kind of have that claustrophobic feeling, like, oh, I think i got to get up. Well, the, you know, you had to have your seatbelt on. And I'm kind of sitting there, I'm kind of getting cranky, and I'm kind of looking at this guy, wanting to smack him because he turned my light off. <laughs> and, uh, and even if I turned it on again, I had to lean on him because the light was shining here. And I was just, and all of a sudden I thought, what, what are you doing? Why, why are you being this way? Stop it. And it, right through my mind. You haven't read your Bible for three days. Oh. I go, I can't believe it. So I got my message out, and I just went through real quick. I didn't read what I wrote, but just read Bible verses. And I, ooh, cranky's gone. I don't know why I'm like that, but I'll tell you, I have to read my Bible every day. It's not about that if I don't, Jesus is going to be mad at me, or he's not going to love me anymore. It's for me. So every day I have to read the Bible. Gospel music, I sound so good in the car. Woo. And I have a moonroof now so that when I get really excited, I can raise my hand. I'm driving by. People think I'm waving at them. Novels. I'm an avid reader. I love to read. Used to read every smut book in the world. Janet Daly. Oh, she used to be, you know, I don't know. There's... Susan, who's that? Oh, see, now I knew somebody was going to say the last name. You'd know who, too. I can't remember. I found, I, I just couldn't, I can't read secular books anymore. And I don't really know why I can read, um, but I started reading Christian books. And in the Christian books, I found out how Christian families live. Now, I've got to tell you, I kind of wonder if they live really quite as good as the Christian books make them out to be. But still, I had a model of how it should look. And so I read Christian novels. I, I used to allow myself just one book. Um, when the Harry Potter series was coming out, I allowed myself one Harry Potter a year. Uh, I'm a fifth grade teacher, and so, you know, Harry Potter, you've got to be up with the kids. Now that the Harry Potter books are done, I don't know. Maybe I'll start on the Twilight series one book a year. I don't know. But I need to read gospel books. When I'm reading secular books, my life starts getting antsy. I, I don't know what will work for you. And don't think that if you do what I do, that it's going to work necessarily for you. But I will tell you one thing. You are as close to the Lord today as you choose to be. That's a quote from my friend Jim Christensen, Dr. Jim Christensen, who's the radio um, um, evangelist, evangelist on Heavenly Home Hour. You're as close to the Lord today as you choose to be. Ooh, kind of convicting, huh? You have to figure out what works. It has to be intentional. It has to be intentional. It is a growing, loving, passion-filled relationship. When you sing those songs tonight, sing them to your Savior, your loving, beautiful groom-to-be. Romans 12.2 talks about as my life verse, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The more time you spend with the Lord, he will renew your mind. He will transform you into a new person. The stronger your vertical relationship is with the Lord, the stronger your horizontal relationships will be with others. So let's kind of review how we're going to keep jazzed up. We're not going to, one more time, <laughs> we're not going to look toward the world for advice. 
We're going to get a support system. We're going to try to have confidence when it comes to trials and tribulations. God will not forsake you. He will get you through, and he is worthy of our trust. You're going to have some fun. You're going to put that bathing suit on, not worry. And then you're going to remember it's all about Jesus. You're as close to the Lord today as you choose to be. If you'll bow with me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Dear Lord, we just thank you for your love. We thank you for this mountaintop. We thank you for the laughter. We thank you for each speaker that uh, is up here. We just lift up Dawn right now to you, dear Lord, and the, uh, the other speaker. I know Sherry's going to speak later. Give them your words, dear Lord. Dear Lord, in the coming year, there will be times, dear Lord, where we do not feel like we are the beacons of your love. And you tell us to, we are the light of the world. We are to show our love for others because of you. We are to show the world the power of your love in our lives so that they may see your glory. Help us, dear Lord. Help us to do that. We love you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks.